0: To episode 7 of Marvel by the Month. My name is Brian Stratton.
1: And I am Rob Milne.
0: And this week we're going to be talking about the Marvel comics that came out in September 1962 with a newsstand date of July 1962. And what are those comics, Rob?
1: We have Fantastic Four, number six. We have Incredible Hulk, number three. Journey into Mystery, number 84. And Tales to Astonish, number 35, that's back.
0: Yeah, and so uh, half of these were written by Stan Lee. He wrote uh, Fantastic Four and Incredible Hulk. Uh, his brother, Larry Lieber, wrote Journey into Mystery, the second Thor story. Um, and then Stan and Larry both worked on uh, Tales to Astonish, uh, which is the first appearance of Henry Pym as Ant-Man. Um, they were all drawn by Jack Kirby. Um because he was a maniac. (laughs) Uh, Dick Ayers did most of the inking. Uh, Joe Sinnott um, inked some of the uh, Fantastic Four. Um, And then, of course, uh, Stan Goldberg colored everything. Artie Simic lettered everything. Um, There's your Marvel bullpen for the month. So, uh, as I mentioned, these have a newsstand date of July 1962. That's when they were out for purchase. Um, So we'll talk a little bit about... What was going on in 62 that might be relevant to uh, the readers of these comics? Uh, first thing, um, there's a lot of uh, nuclear weapons news uh, <laughs> in July 62 because it was the Cold War and we were really excited to be testing things out. Um So uh, after a few unsuccessful attempts, uh, the United States uh, finally succeeded in exploding a hydrogen bomb in outer space, and uh, it caused a giant electromagnetic pulse that knocked out uh, streetlights and fuses, and uh, knocked out at least 10 orbiting satellites. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, we learn our lessons the hard way here (laughs) in the Cold War.
1: That's super cool if you weren't there at the time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then uh, once again uh, i think we mentioned this last month uh, but there was another uh, test of a thor missile and uh, that didn't work out either Um, (laughs) it wound up blowing up on the launch pad Um, so you know science is messy Uh, in other sort of space and uh, radiation news uh, nasa uh, put a bunch of animals uh, up in orbit in a space capsule Um, and they were seeing uh, whether astronauts could safely endure prolonged exposure to cosmic rays. Um, There were two monkeys, there were four hamsters, uh, and uh, unfortunately none of them made it.
1: No, there was no Fantastic Six Mm -hmm. of cute
0: animals no none of them gained stretchy powers or uh wound up covered in orange rocks or anything interesting like that uh they just died a lonely death miles uh-huh. above the earth's surface and then uh, in a story that will have a little bit of resonance when we start talking about the Thor story peruvian army officers used a sherman tank to batter down the gates of the presidential palace in lima um and then uh they uh Arrested the uh, the president of Peru and they replaced him with a junta uh, led by Ricardo Perez Godoy and uh, reversed an election that had happened just the previous month, so um, lots of uh, turmoil um, and uh, You know
1: political well, unrest yes and always a tank really helps to uh, solve some problems, I guess
0: yeah sometimes sometimes the correct answer is tank <laughs> But uh, enough of this real-world talk. Uh, Let's go ahead and talk about um, the issues that we uh, read this month. So I think we're going to switch up our format a little bit because we're starting to have uh, more and more issues coming out as the Marvel Universe is expanding. So um, how about we take turns kind of summarizing the issues that we read, um, hitting the high points, and then we'll talk about uh, what wound up mattering um, to the larger Marvel Universe uh, when we're done. Sounds good. So we will jump into Fantastic Four number six first. This is a great story. Uh, it's got a wonderful cover uh, where uh, it's obvious that the Fantastic Four are going to be uh, going against not just Dr. Doom, not just the Submariner, but the team of Dr. Doom and Submariner, uh, two villainous villains who had been introduced in previous issues uh, and are now together for the very first time. So we start out, uh, and the Human Torch is heading back to uh, the Fantastic Four's headquarters. Um, He has been, we discover, uh, on the lookout for Dr. Doom, uh, who disappeared after their last encounter. And uh, for the first time, uh, the Fantastic Four's headquarters is referred to as the Baxter Building. So that's a nice little piece of... Uh, F.F. lore. Once we get up there um, we find out that Johnny has had no luck uh, in locating Dr. Doom. Uh, he has just vanished off the face of the earth, but the rest of the Fantastic Four is keeping busy uh, answering some fan mail. <laughs> uh, Reed Richards winds up stretching out the window of the top floors of the Baxter Building into a hospital where a kid is uh, has been writing letters to him, he winds up having a, a chat with him uh, in mid-air. Uh, ben Grimm gets a taunting letter from the Yancey Street Gang, um, which again is another piece of uh, Fantastic Four lore uh, that will come up time and time again. Um, and uh, he replies by taking a giant hunk of steel and twisting it into uh, a rolled up state uh, and sending it back by way of response. A steel burrito. And then we see, uh, we cut to Namor, the submariner, frolicking with some dolphins. And his playtime is interrupted by the one and only Dr. Doom, Doom. Uh, who is makes a big push to recruit Namor uh, into his plans to defeat the Fantastic Four once and for all. So they head down to Namor's undersea lair, uh, which has some really awesome uh, Jacques Cousteau <laughs> stuff going on. It is trippy. It's amazing. Like, uh, it, it's Again, we're starting to see hints of Cosmic Jack Kirby, which is the best Jack Kirby. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, we also uh, get some uh, indication that uh, Namor's got a little crush on Sue Storm. He's got a framed photo of her uh, in his hideout. Um, And uh, initially Namor is reluctant to go after the Fantastic Four because uh, he doesn't want uh, anything bad to happen to Sue. Um, But Doom works on him and works on him. Um, He's not just a a master of the mystic arts. He's not just a technological genius, but uh, he's also got some pretty good psychology chops. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, he convinces Namor to help him defeat the Fantastic Four, uh, and Namor says he'll do it as long as uh, the Invisible Girl is not uh, harmed. So uh, Doom goes along with that shows off uh, his latest technological invention, which is this incredibly powerful magnetic grappler thing um, that raises a giant stone head from the surface of the sea. And Namor is convinced he will take it, he'll smuggle it into the Fantastic Four's headquarters, uh, and he will team up with Doom to crush them. Uh, Back at the FF's headquarters, uh, we find out that uh, Namor's crush on Sue uh, is a little bit mutual. She's also been uh, hiding a picture of him. Um, which her brother finds and burns up uh, because little brothers are like that sometimes. This leads to a predictable tussle, which is interrupted by the appearance of the Submariner, uh, who shows up and tries to convince them that he's there to be a friend, uh, but that doesn't last very long.
1: Ben's not having
0: it. Otherwise. No, of course. And, and uh, of course, what is the predictable response when Ben starts having a tantrum?
1: He gets reed
0: tangled. He gets a... <laughs> <laughs> Reed rubber bands him up. They can't figure out what Namor is up to, but they know he's up to something. And then Namor is surprised by uh, a loud crack, uh, and the entire Baxter building starts levitating up into the air. Namor did his job and hid the magnetic grappler. He was expecting that Doom would let him get out of there uh, before he actually activated it. Um, but Doom, not the most trustworthy partner. Kind of a double-crosser. Yeah. So, the Baxter Building is rising into space. The FF tries and fails to uh, catch Doctor Doom's uh, spacecraft, which is flying ahead of them, swinging the Baxter Building on a collision path with the sun. And who should step up and save the day but Namor? He dives into a water tank inside the Baxter Building. He leaps out of a window and leapfrogs across an asteroid field to land on Dr. Doom's ship. He disables it with his electric eel powers, which is a new thing for (laughs) Namor, uh, which I don't believe sticks around very long. Um, Winds up kicking Dr. Doom out of his own craft. Uh, Doom winds up drifting off into space on an asteroid, so that's probably the last we'll see of him. Certainly. Almost certainly. And uh, the FF winds up back home, safe and sound. The Baxter Building is placed back exactly where it was uh, abducted from, uh, and Namor makes good his escape, and he says, perhaps someday, when he's no longer haunted by bitter memories of his lost people, he may return, but until then, this is where he belongs, in the sea, which is his home. That's Fantastic Four, number six.
1: Which is is great. That that doubles the stakes. Yes. Takes two huge villains and just puts them together and you know a whole building in space that's that's a pretty big issue. It's pretty awesome. Well, let me pick up The Incredible Hulk number 3. All right. Which is maybe not as incredible as the <laughs> Fantastic 4, but it has some it has some nice moments. Okay. So, let's, let's jump in. Let's jump in. So we we start where we had left. We have the Hulk in his under lake in a desert. <laughs> I was going to say under sea, but I think it's an under lake uh, containment vessel that Bruce Banner had put together and and Rick's hanging out, making sure he can't escape and doesn't break through. And he's, you know, wailing on this thing. Uh, but he is, it's been Hulk-proofed. So basically he sits in there, Rick's waiting for daylight to come to finally, you know, let, let Bruce out, but the army finds Rick they want they know he he's you know in cahoots with the Hulk and they're trying to get the Hulk to come join them they want to contain him is what they're what they're telling Rick what they really do is launch the Hulk into space oh man and they're not launching him into space for anything other than to get him the heck off the planet <laughs> so uh, that that doesn't uh, necessarily go as well as you would think but what happens when when Hulk is in space is he gets hit by some cosmic rays, or or some space radiation. We don't know exactly what happens to him immediately, but we come to realize that he gets some different powers. He also ends up connecting with Rick as Rick is on a board trying to speak to him and gets uh, electrically charged in some weird cosmic way. So now Rick has some connection to the Hulk. It turns out that Rick can control the Hulk, which is cool. Also, big note, the Hulk is in the daylight. So no longer is he turning into Bruce during the day. He's just Hulk whenever so far. So as, as, uh, as Rick realizes his control of the Hulk, he, he does some fun like, piggyback rides on the Hulk. <laughs> and, uh, as you do. Uh, but he does find that if he falls asleep, he loses control. So, and when he loses control... Hulk does whatever Hulk wants, which <laughs> is bash a bunch of things with a giant telephone pole. So, sure. Why not? Uh, so then he, uh, Rick, re- you know, starts to learn that control. And that's the first of three parts to this issue. So the second part is just revisiting our our old or- origin story. So we have what we've seen before, some slightly different uh, imagery. I love that every time there is a origin revisit Kirby redraw stuff. Yes. So uh, it's all slightly different, but we go through the same. Uh, he's gamma radiated. There's some, they figure it out. He turns into the Hulk. That Hulk even appears kind of gray when we start to <laughs> reintroduce him in this origin and then back to locking him up. That's it. Section two. All right. Part three is where it starts to get interesting. This is where the mighty Hulk meets the ring master. And the Ringmaster, although a pretty gaudy and campy 60s villain with a, an entire freak show array and cir- of circus performers, he is a lasting part of the universe. Yeah. We are introduced to the Ringmaster indirectly. Then we, go, we dive into the story. We find out there are these whole towns getting robbed, like everything, like houses, vaults. They, they realize that the people are under some kind of mind control. Eventually, they piece it together that it so happens they find these circus posters wherever this is occurring, and there's some great circus art in this too. Yes, obviously there's something to do with this circus, but what has all this to do with the Hulk? Is one panel <laughs> because it goes on for a little while before the Hulk is back in. There's the a
0: lot of circus in yeah. this episode. Yeah,
1: <laughs> we we it turns out that Rick is he's having a really hard time because he's afraid if he falls asleep. We haven't seen Bruce at all. It's just Hulk. So he's going to lose control of the Hulk if he falls asleep. So he's losing his mind. He goes to hang out with his aunt, who happens to be in a town where a circus is coming in. Mm. You see this connection? Uh, this is where we see the Ringmaster's power. He hypnotizes the whole audience, and, uh, including Rick. What happens, though, when Rick loses his mind? Hulk gets his whatever is his mind, his pebble of a smashing mind. So Hulk <laughs> goes crazy, but Rick, before he totally lo- loses control, calls in the Hulk. So the Hulk <laughs> comes to save him and gets almost attacked by a human cannonball with a hammer, which is so awesome. Yeah. And, uh, but Hulk uh, knocks him into the sky with a punch. So there's there's a few more incidents. But it seems like the Ringmasters dealt with some pretty strong folk in his time. He takes a fire hose to the Hulk, and then they chain him up. So now they've got the Hulk contained and Rick under their control. They decide they're going to, of course, showcase the Hulk in, as as a freak to bring in some more crowd to hypnotize. Uh, that lasts a very short amount of time.
0: Yeah, like uh, four panels? <laughs> yes.
1: And then the the... The Hulk breaks free uh, as the the detectives catch up. Rick shakes off his hypnotism, and the Hulk now is under his control again, breaking free. And he does some really sweet circus stuff. Like, I mean, says he pushes an elephant. I think he kind of punches an elephant. <laughs> um, <laughs> not not that I condone that at all. I, I'm still sad about NASA's radiation animals, uh, but still cool hulk is able to stop the ringmaster from escaping they capture him but then the army shows up so now they're ready to take the hulk into custody but rick does his amazing piggyback ride again and gets the hulk to leap into the air and this is one of the first times we see they they coin it as flying yes uh this is really hulk's Enormous miles long leaps that we start that start to become how we know Hulk can travel great distances very quickly.
0: Right, exactly. Yeah, they I mean it's explicitly stated as flying, um, and it looks like because he's like curving in midair, Um, hands
1: out, you know.
0: Yeah, but they abandon that pretty quick, (laughs) (laughs) Um, and there we go. There's that's it. That's Hulk number three. Incredible Hulk number three. then i guess what i need to do is talk about uh, journey into mystery number 84. so this is the second uh, thor story and it features as the villain the executioner <laughs> uh but it's not that executioner uh not the uh asgardian in the blue armor with the bald tattooed head and the giant axe but obviously the seed was planted stan recycled everything at one point or another <laughs> Uh, including things that his brother came up with. So the splash page uh, shows Thor facing down a modern military army, um, and he says that uh, only he and his hammer stand between the Executioner's legions and disaster. So let's see uh, how this all plays out. So we get a quick recap of uh, Thor's origin. Then we see him uh, in his guise as... The lame Dr. Blake, uh, and I like the fact that he's always referred to as the lame Dr. Blake because he's a very lame character. Uh, He's got an unrequited crush on his nurse, uh, who she's referred to uh, in here as Jane Nelson, but we wind up knowing her as Jane Foster uh, later on when she becomes uh, Blake's uh, love interest. Turns out she's got a crush on him too, but... You know, in true comic booky fashion, neither one of them actually speaks up about it. So, um, you know, this will play out over the course of, oh, several hundred issues. <laughs> Classic. Yep. Um, we find out that uh, there has been a revolution uh, in the country of San Diablo, which I think is Spanish for Saint Devil. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's, that's... So, maybe, yeah, I'm not sure how much Spanish Larry Lieber spoke, but... Um, Anyway, long the short of it is, a bunch of American doctors, uh, including lame Dr. Blake, uh, decide that they are going to head there um, and uh, treat the wounded civilians. Uh, But uh, the executioner, who is the head of the military junta uh, who caused this revolution, and, by the way, a tool of the commies, um, sends his fighter jets to attack their ship. Blake changes into Thor, um, launches himself into the air, smashes up some commie jets, Um, And then uh, turns back into Blake, who is uh, bobbing in the ocean, because he's the lame Dr. Blake.
1: Hashtag Uh, lame Dr. Blake.
0: Hashtag. I (laughs) think we're
1: going to start saying hashtag things now. We have to.
0: I think we do. (laughs) So uh, we see uh, in San Diablo, uh, the executioner is very upset that four of his jet fighters couldn't even sink one unarmed ship. Um, So he has the uh, commander of the pilots uh, put up against a wall and shot which tells you that, A, the executioner earned his name, he didn't just get it, and uh, B, he's not messing around. So when the doctors uh, arrive uh, in San Diablo, um, they're immediately greeted by these uh, commie revolutionaries. Again, lame Dr. Blake turns into Thor. Or, no, I'm sorry, he doesn't turn into Thor, he causes a thunderstorm, whips up such uh, uh, rain and uh, hurricane-force winds that uh, it mitigates the attack. Uh, Then he turns into Thor... Grabs a tree, uh, flips over a tank. Awesome. Um, um, yeah, really cool. <laughs> but the soldiers uh, wind up taking his lovely Jane hostage. Thor has no choice but to walk away because uh, he doesn't want her to be hurt. So he, they are captured. Um, they are led to the Executioner's palace. The Executioner takes Don Blake's walking stick away from him. Um, which, of course, means he can't turn into Thor at this point, but Blake just gets it back in about four panels, <laughs> um, taps it on the ground, uh, turning into Thor, despite the fact that he's tried very hard to hide his secret identity uh, up until this point, uh, but he just changes in front of everyone, who, and apparently they just didn't notice it.
1: It's, uh, a, it's a blinding lightning bolt. That's sure.
0: That's how we saw that. One. Exactly, yeah. right. Thor uh, unloads on the uh, military, Uh, He causes a volcanic eruption on a nearby mountain, um, and it sends the soldiers fleeing. As the army is running, uh, they see the executioner trying to make off with a bunch of gold and cash money. And now they realize the error of their ways, Mm -hmm. and they realize that uh, he had led them into war and was only out for himself. uh, And they execute the executioner oh bitter fate and that's basically the end of the story um you know we get a quick little recap with uh lame dr blake treating the ill people of san diablo and nurse jane uh thinking to herself oh golly why couldn't you be brave and adventurous like thor (laughs) but no that would just be too much to hope for the end What do you got for us for the the wrap-up here? I've
1: got Tales to Astonish, number 35, with some more commies.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: This is the return of the Ant-Man. So on the cover, we get to see Henry Pym as the Ant-Man in a costume with the helmet, with the little antenna. And uh, he's, even in our splash when we start it, we revisit his experiment. We talk through what happened, you know, when he was able to shrink himself and had the terrifying experience in an anthill which is a, it's a super funny origin story <laughs> compared to most of the Marvel universe. And yeah. That's it. It was like he shrunk himself, was really scared in an anthill, got big again. That was it. Said, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> yep. And swore to never do it again. Thought about it for a minute. Decided, got to do it again. <laughs> so, uh, he, uh...
0: Shrinking serum is a hell of a drug. <laughs> he,
1: becomes, <laughs> he becomes fairly obsessed with ants. Uh, and and starts to study them quite a bit so he becomes also obsessed with how they communicate and decides to build a helmet that could communicate with ants so the science is dicey but
0: it's the 60s it's solid
1: yeah the, <laughs> it's bulletproof the wavelength <laughs> of communication it, it's some kind of telepathy it's hard to say but it it works he's a smart man right smarter than us and more fictional As he's developing this and he's working, he's working on some other projects for the government, top secret scientific projects. And this is actually to help an immunity to radioactivity. So like a a gas or something that would keep people from uh, being harmed by radiation, which is, you know, of course, really in the minds of the people in current events, since things aren't going well with radiation. If only
0: he had worked a little faster and could have used it on those six poor animals.
1: God, I can't even. I'm going to cry about the hamsters. It's like space hamsters. How cool would that be? (laughs) Anyway, naturally the commies want to to get a hold of this uh, gas that makes people immune to radioactivity. They send in some spies. They take all of the scientists hostage, including Dr. Pym. But he is able to get into his costume, shrink down, and find a way to release everyone, and it's a crazy thing. He uh, hooks a rubber band to an ashtray <laughs> and shoots himself to a window. Uh, and we find out a few things about his powers. Uh, one is that again he can communicate to ants. That takes a little trial and error, but he works it out, and the transmitter works. And we get it. We get a full like diagram of how his helmet works with a transmitter a decoder so he can understand them a receiver to, to receive what they're thinking and then he finds out it diminishes his size but not his strength he has the strength of a full-grown man so that is where we we start to see some of the uh, the powers that continue with mm-hmm. the character so another, key point we find out he has a costume made of steel mesh consisting of unstable molecules
0: yeah and i forgot to mention that in the fantastic four issue but um the sick boy uh who reed stretched across the sky to visit had written them a letter asking why don't their costumes ever get torn up um and reed said well i made them out of uh, fabric that was infused with unstable molecules. And this must have been a brainstorm that Stan had because that's now the explanation for why superhero costumes always look great in the Marvel Universe. Yeah, it, it,
1: to this day. Problem solved. So in addition to the uh, the actual threat of these spies, we have a brief aside where Ant-Man fights a beetle, which he, apparently he can't talk to. And he tricks it into falling into a hole. He's quickly dug with his full man strength. And, and of,
0: course, of course he can't talk to the beetle. It's a <laughs> it's a totally different species. Don't be bug racist. <laughs> sorry.
1: I'm sorry. I am insensitive. That is one of my faults. <laughs> uh, so Ant-Man also rides some ants. That's the thing he does. <laughs> and he he's able to control enough ants to help as a distraction. He and bite a bunch of, or bite some of the villains, so they drop their weapons. Um, then he has some honey ants gum up some guns that, that are dropped, so that the guns don't work anymore, as he is untying the, the remaining scientists, who then uh, decide they're going to jump the commies. After that, he's able to sneak out on an ant, bring himself back up to normal size, and reappear again. All tied up in about ten pages.
0: Very efficient. Did we ever get a definitive answer to whether or not ants actually have a bunch of honey lying around? Because I don't I, know what that is. I don't think is. they do. I'm really pretty sure that's not an ant thing.
1: I, I, honey ants may be a thing. I don't know that they just can rapidly put a bunch of honey into a gun somehow. Yeah. And I'm not even sure about that. The The science is not always the first thing.
0: Right. But, you know, Marvel Universe does have differences from our own. So, you know, maybe there is such a thing called honey ants in the Marvel Universe. True.
1: That can rapidly produce honey.
0: There you go. So, uh, let's kind of uh, step back a little bit and uh, talk a little bit about what mattered this month. So, these are the things that uh, came out of these stories uh, that... Actually, wound up uh, having an impact going forward on the Marvel Universe. There's a lot of stuff here that you know. Look, they're they're churning out a ridiculous amount of content um, every month here. Not everything is going to be a winner. Uh, you know, there's two more stories here uh, in Tales to Astonish because it's an anthology book um, that you know have absolutely no impact and have been you know pretty much forgotten. Even the the best comic series, uh, not every single one's going to be a winner, but. There were some things that did take place this month uh, that did have a lasting impact. Most obviously, uh, Fantastic Four number six had a lot of stuff uh, that winds up being really foundational to the team and to the Marvel Universe. And, you know, this makes sense. It's the sixth issue of this comic, whereas, you know, the others, you know, we're talking about the second or third appearance of some of these characters. So in FF number six, uh, you have Submariner, a uh, really clearly defined. Um, it was alluded to when he first appeared, but now it's really clear that he's not so much a villain, but he's an anti-hero that he's, he's not always a bad guy, but he's not a good guy either. So you just need to catch him on the right day, basically.
1: And we have his, uh, his long lasting crush on Sue and, and her somewhat reciprocated, reciprocated
0: love. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, you know, it's. In in the way that you know a lot of 1960s stuff uh, in comics, especially involving women, is a little bit cringeworthy. Um, yeah. uh, but you know, it, at least it's presented as if she is she understands where he's coming from. Like he's not just a flat out evil guy for the sake of being evil, or that he's selfish or or anything. Like she understands on some level that he's experienced a tremendous loss of his people. Um, he blames humanity for this she doesn't agree with him obviously but um at least he has a justification for how he might feel this way
1: she understands his
0: bad boy image exactly get that guy a leather jacket <laughs> and then you know as mentioned uh, earlier in the episode there's uh three really uh you know kind of fundamental uh pieces of fantastic four lore that are introduced uh, in this episode You have uh, costumes made of unstable molecules, which Reed Richards invented. You have uh, the Baxter Building being referred to by name, which will be the Fantastic Four's headquarters until, I think, the late 80s. And then you have the Yancey Street Gang, uh, (laughs) which uh, were Ben Grimm's tormentors for years um, where he grew up, the block he grew up on. So it's kind of cool, uh, you know, seeing these things, you know, coming into focus and seeing these things for the first time, especially if you're a long-term uh, Marvel Comics fan. Uh, you're like, oh, yeah, the Yancey Street gang. It's like, all right, like, I know those guys. Like, I know where this is going. So yeah. And it's it's, it's kind of
1: cool. been around since issue six. Yeah. Uh, in the Hulk, we have the Ringmaster and the Circus of Crime, who are like awesome campy solid b-villains. Absolutely. Uh they and they reoccur to this day. You yeah. know, there's there's uh, at least the ringmaster, if not I wish all of the circus of crime would too. We have the the Hulk uh his powers change, so he's not mm-hmm. a daytime banner nighttime Hulk and he is more of the full juggernaut bers- berserker yes. uh, that we you know come to associate for most of the time that the hulk is around.
0: Yeah, he, he's less of a werewolf uh and more of just a pure creature of rage, which yeah. is, you know, rage is the hulk's superpower a force
1: of nature. Yeah. yeah. And and launching the hulk into space is something that happens uh unfortunately for the hulk somewhat often.
0: Yeah, it's you know I, I I'm actually kind of impressed that, you know, 3 issues in General Ross figures out like why are we trying to beat this guy? Let's just get him off the planet.
1: (laughs) That would be, that's a a great answer to, you know, the zombie outbreak. Launch him into space. Launch him into space. Catch him as fast as you can. Launch him into space. Because otherwise you're in trouble.
0: Yeah. Not super happy with the results of the last election. (laughs) Launch him into space. (laughs) Um, Yeah. uh, Journey into Mystery uh, 84. I don't think it has necessarily as many, um, it doesn't have as much of a lasting impact on the marvel universe uh, as the first two issues we discussed uh, but again this is only the second appearance of thor really they're trying to find their feet with the character we do get a couple things out of it there's a character called the executioner a much more interesting executioner will show up later in thor comics you know but at least you know we got some hint of that and you know jane foster who winds up being uh, a pretty major character in the thor comics uh, for years uh, she's introduced here, um, so you start getting that. Whether or not that's your favorite part of the Thor character, um, at least it's, it's a significant part of it, um, and this is where that all starts. And it, so.
1: it's a significant part of the Marvel universe again to this yes.
0: day. So. Oh yeah, because she does wind up being Thor, right? Yeah. Spoiler yeah. alert. Yeah. Well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: and there is a little bit. Uh, there's a little bit more to the strength and powers of Thor that we see that. Uh, that have been alluded to but seeing Thor able to fly and intercept a jet yes and then hammer it in half yeah uh, that's again just it's, it's we've we've established that he's strong but flipping a tank strong mm-hmm. is now what we're seeing too, which is also, Hulk levels.
0: Yeah I feel like Kirby's getting more of a visual feel for Thor's abilities and powers Um, I always thought when he when Thor first appeared he just he looked really awkward um, like kind of splayed out um, and I don't know everything it's hard to describe it he just he just didn't
1: he was always crouching weird. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. But uh, with this, you, right. yeah. you do you do see this like, you know, I'm going to wing my hammer and I'm going to, you know, cause a tornado and I'm going to, you know, like create a storm and I'm going to launch myself into the air and, you know, that kind of stuff you know, is much more, uh, which I think the movies have done a fantastic job of capturing. Oh, yes. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's cool to see the visual language of Thor coming together, even if, you know, a lot of the things that... Wind up making the character really interesting, haven't hit yet.
1: Agreed. And then, uh, Tales to Astonish, we have we now finally have Henry Pym as the Ant Man instead of as a Twilight Zone character, right? Uh, in his first appearance, and then we have Pym communicating with ants, mm-hmm. and we have the uh, you know, the shrinking and growing, which we're, we've confirmed is now a power, yes. not just a scientific anomaly, mm-hmm. and we have unstable molecules in his costume as well
0: yeah yeah um and uh I, I like the fact that uh the reason that he built his costume that way was specifically so that ants couldn't bite him
1: <laughs> <laughs> he's, i mean he's, it's so funny it's like it's like the uh camp even campier version of a batman story he's yes. uh he's He had a terrifying experience with some (laughs) ants. And so everything he does is like, I need to talk to them so they won't hurt me. But if they do, I need to have steel mesh and unstable molecules so it won't hurt me.
0: Yeah, it's sort of like the way that my uh, six-year-old kid is fascinated by, but also simultaneously terrified by, robot vacuums. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, he wants to invent them, he wants to develop them and build them, uh, also, if he sees one, he will collapse uh, into a panic. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is definitely
1: his kryptonite. But yes. Yep. But maybe he will become some kind of robot vacuum superhero or villain. You know? Sure. Yeah. You got to let him go their own way at some point. You
0: do. You, yeah. You... And
1: six. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs>
0: if we boil this whole thing down so we talked a little bit about you know what are the the bits and pieces um that came out of these issues that influenced the marvel universe going forward um but if you had to pick one single panel from all of the issues that came out this month um that would represent um one of the things that stayed with you most profoundly what would that be
1: this was this was tough but i ended up with Hulk page 22 panel 1. This is Hulk uh, bound in chains, mindless, standing on a little pedestal next to a sad-looking circus lion. And the thing that struck me so much is uh any fans of The Goon and Eric Powell, uh you see this Kirby Hulk and it looks th- this whole scene and in fact a lot of the whole the whole circus is would fit perfectly in the Goon universe. Uh, mm-hmm. So you can see this inspiration and in how how much Eric Powell has been inspired by Kirby. And sometimes I, I didn't see that in Kirby's work, but this one panel just like gives me goosebumps to see. It's like it is a green Goon. Uh, it is it, so awesome.
0: Yeah. it's And just the layout of it all and the Hulk just looking slumped and defeated. You know, it's just... But also... Like, incredibly dangerous. Like, you know that those chains aren't going to stay on them for much longer.
1: (laughs) And they don't. Yeah. Four panels.
0: (laughs) It's amazing. Well, um, if I had to pick a panel, um, and I do, because that's the premise of our podcast (laughs) here, I'm going to choose uh, uh, a panel from uh, Journey into Mystery 84. And to be honest, this was my least favorite of the four stories that we read um, this month. Um, I didn't think there was a lot of meat on the bone on the story. This was kind of a a recurring theme in in a few of these, but like there was no real enemy. I mean, the enemy was communism, you know, like there's a lot of commies uh, (laughs) in in this month's of comics. Um, But if I'm going to choose one panel, um, it would be uh, page six, uh, panel three, where uh, Thor is fighting um, the uh, communist fighter jets uh, of the Executioner, where it it just. I think it sums up this particular point in history in the Marvel universe where that's what you do with yeah you got a superpowered guy uh, you got a, a, a Norse god of thunder yeah just have him beat up a communist jet have mm-hmm. him smash that in half and and that's and also I mean look it, not only is it you know kind of like campy and funny to look back on um, but it's kirby doing thor smashing a thing um and that's just you know it's it's poetry on the page and so. it sells it
1: like yeah that's the thing is you i mean as we all know as being comic book readers Mm-mm. you you don't even realize the how far-fetched and insane a lot of the things you are seeing yeah that you just see it and the way he has illustrated it yes you believe it you're You're part of that universe so like that is it you see a a flying man long-haired dude hammering a plane in half yeah and it it looks like yeah that's what's happening that's what
0: that would look like yep yeah
1: (laughs) so he makes it real
0: yep yeah i mean i feel like every single episode has just been a kirby love fest but it's (laughs) it's it's gonna keep happening yeah i mean he drew every panel on every page of all four of these comics you know, in one month, it, it, the guy just, he was a machine. He, he's the king of comics. What can you say? Uh-huh. Um, it's fantastic. No pun intended. So, uh, if we're going to uh, decide how marvelous was this month, uh, considering this is a very communist-heavy month, they were the commies were the big enemies uh, the entire time, um, so, uh, I'm going to set the scale here <laughs> on a scale on, on the low end, uh, from a talking moose, uh, defeating Boris Badenov to, uh, the greatest American icon of all time, Rocky Balboa, <laughs> uh, knocking out Ivan Drago to avenge his friend. Where would you place this in the continuity?
1: Oh, that's rough mm-hmm. because there are a couple of, you know, sort of empty issues here. But we do have the Fantastic Four brings it up, like, taking two promising villains Mm -hmm. and immediately bringing them back together and raising those stakes puts me all the way to
0: Rocky, Rocky. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's, I I totally get it. I think, I don't know that I necessarily am quite that high with it. I'm going to go with, like... 1980s u.s hockey team <laughs> defeating the russians you know just like you're just a, a step or two under uh rocky balboa but yeah i mean you know look the the thor issue is pretty forgettable the hulk story is the the uh ringmaster stuff is great um the stuff up until that is kind of disjointed um you know it's look there's definitely there's there's good bits and pieces um in all these issues. But you're absolutely right. Like, Fantastic Four number six is a, just awesome. Like, the Lee Kirby run on Fantastic Four is just... There's there's almost no duds in the entire thing. Um,
1: and, and also, you know, Fantastic Four is sort of born fully formed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Whereas everything else, you can see it getting tinkered
0: yeah, as, yeah. as it
1: happens. Well,
0: yeah, so, I mean, yeah. I, I think, you know, a lot of folks have said it's like Fantastic Four is it basically took Kirby's challenges, of the unknown and did it right. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's pretty legit in some ways. Um, so yeah, it definitely it was a second iteration of something that Kirby had spent some time with um, and Stan contributed some really good ideas to it. Um, you know, the family dynamic is, is just great. Uh, it remains great to this day. And comics at this time really didn't have anti heroes generally. Like, it was very, very black and white. Like, you were either the good guy or you were the bad guy, and there were no shades of gray. Yeah. Um, uh, but Namor really, he walks that line, um, and he's just a super compelling character.
1: Yeah, I mean, and Ben is yeah. an anti-hero. Yep, and the uh, Hulk, yeah. Yeah, and mm-hmm. the, the Hulk isn't even a hero. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, he's just sort of a villain who's the star.
0: Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> he's a force of nature that occasionally gets pointed in the right direction.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that's sort of the story of the <laughs> Hulk. But... Uh, and I'll, I'll nerd out on this some more yeah. as we go through future episodes, but I recently got to see the, the original script for FF one. So Oh, you were talking about yeah. this, yeah. So there's a, a re-release of of the facsimile issue of FF number one, and it has Stan's typewritten script, and it's Less a script and more of descriptions of characters and scenes mm-hmm. in but in deeper ways than than you would think. So right. that that also helped me to understand how fully formed this was, yeah, and especially Ben's character as just he's specifically not a hero. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that he he stays a little bit more on the heroic side, even in these comics, despite all his boss <laughs> the family dynamic, the way the characters interact, the the things that become central to that are all there, right right from the beginning. So you know he poured something extra into that.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think crapping on Stan has always been, (laughs) like at least since the early 70s, has been a pretty popular position to take (laughs) if you're a diehard comics fan. But look, the dude wasn't just in the right place at the right time. Like, he contributed things to these stories that... Other creators did not, you know, in future efforts, and so yeah, you you have to give him his props. Like the reason there is a consistency to all this stuff, there's a visual consistency because of Kirby, and there is a characterization and a tonal consistency because of Stan, like,
1: and a universal continuity, yes. which is sometimes criticized in the cinematic universe. Sure, mm-hmm. uh, but that I I whenever that happens, I'm like, I don't care if it's the same continuity. Yeah but a, this is all one universe. Yeah, yeah. And that, that becomes more and more apparent.
0: Well, and someone was just talking about this, uh, I think it was on the Flophouse in a recent episode uh, of that podcast, which is a very good podcast. You should check it out. Um, but they were talking about uh, one of the strengths of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is that the highs can be very high, but the lows are not really ever that low. Because of the strength of the shared universe and you know the similar cons- consistent tone and... You Know formulaic storytelling, it's a good formula, yeah. So it, it's like a built in safety net, like it can't fall that far. So, yeah, um, and
1: I, I think can go off on that for a while, too. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I think that it comes straight out of these early Marvel comics, like and, and the Marvel Universe as a whole. Is like the strength of the Marvel Universe is its internal consistency, and everything leans on everything else for support. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, when you have, you know, you, you've set some ground rules. Heroes are not always pure heroes. Um, you know, villains are not always pure villains. And everything is connected and everything has stakes. That's a really good place to start from. Yeah. Well thanks for joining us for yet another episode of Marvel by the Month. I think we're starting to get better at these, uh, which is exciting. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> and we have hashtag <laughs> we have, Lame Dr. Blake.
0: <laughs> and we have, use hashtag lame Dr. Blake on our social media channels uh, which by the way, are uh, on Instagram at Marvel by the Month, on Twitter at MarvelBTM. Uh, if you uh, want to give uh, Facebook all of your most personal information, you can find us at facebook.com slash marvelbythemonth. Um, you could also drop us a line, marvelbythemonth at gmail.com, and hit us up on our website, marvelbythemonth.com. I think that's it. That is it. All right. Big month. All right. Cool. Well, uh, I have been very happy to be here with you, and I am Brian Stratton. And I am Rob Mills. And we will see you next week for next month.